Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Hallelujah. What a morning, what a morning, what a morning. God touching people, people getting healed. There was a young, young gal came up, said, I need prayer. And I said, have you surrendered to Jesus? She said, no, but she was ready wept through to salvation. God is so good. Just, it was precious, precious. You know it's good when, when you don't give an altar call, Jesus gives the altar call. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. All right, we got to get into the Word this morning. I just got back from Atlanta last night. I was at a men's conference, preached, uh, flew down there Friday, did it did a Friday night and then Saturday morning and got back and uh, was with a wonderful group of people down there and uh, 300 men stuffed into a campground and God moved. It was glorious. And, uh, but I told them, I got to get back for Heartland and uh, I am glad to be home because I wouldn't miss this for the world. I'm telling you, I just encountered the Lord on that floor there. I could go home full. Hallelujah. All right, we're going to get into the word this morning. Welcome to the second service. It was a good service. This one's fuller. But God moved in the first service as well. What we are going to do is we are going to uh, start a new series this morning. We're going to venture into foundations. I really feel like we're entering a season where we need to relay foundations. Uh, We want to lay strong foundations for what's to come. Uh, this, this idea, this concept in Scripture, you see it throughout Scripture, this idea of foundations and root systems. Uh, and what these two things have in common, one's agricultural, one's architectural, but they have this in common. What is above the ground is dependent upon what is beneath the ground. What is seen is sustained by what is unseen. And so it's very, very important that we get a firm foundation in our life. We need, to, we need to get our root system deep. We need to have a firm foundation. And so we're going to be looking at a number of passages over these next number of weeks and maybe even months, uh, really laying foundations here coming into the new year, at wrapping up this year coming into the new year. Now, I know myself, we'll get off on some little tangents, some little rabbit trails. That's scriptural, by the way. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 uh, and 14. Look, he, he start, well, you just check it out. It, uh, but we're, but we're going we're gonna to keep returning to this because this is crucial. I, I feel like the Lord is wanting to uh, strengthen the tent pegs, if you will. The foundations of a tent are the tent pegs. And when you expand the tent pegs, you gotta, you got to go down deeper so that when the wind blows, that thing can hold. And I believe that the Lord has some good things, and I think there's some challenging things ahead. And so I want to make sure that not only we have a firm foundation corporately, but that we have one individually. We want to make sure that our roots are deep and that our foundation is strong. Amen? So we're going to look at a number of passages. There's, there's several passages throughout Scripture that deal with this. The first one that we're going to get into this morning, well, I'm going to touch on it a little bit. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus goes into this message known as the Sermon on the Mount. Now this was such a good sermon that he preached it on the plain as well because Luke calls it the Sermon on the Plain. So we know that this was such a good message he preached it in two different services, two different places. And, and in fact, where it says that Jesus sat down and began to teach them, literally that word sitting, the, the tense, I mean teaching rather, uh, the tense of it means that he taught this again and again. And so this body of 
material, Matthew 5 through 7, is very, very important for us as believers. And it's a foundational teaching. I'm going to show you that in a little bit. Another passage that we'll look at, we're going to get into uh, during this series, is Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6, the writer says, let us not lay again the foundation. He said, let us leave the elementary teaching, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, faith in God, the laying on of hands, uh, instruction and baptism, laying on of hands. He goes and he's got two other planks he lays down. But he says, let us leave the elementary teachings, not laying again the foundation. He goes on to say this. He said, by this time, he's speaking to the Hebrews, he said, by this time, you ought to be teachers. But we're having to go over the elementary teachings. And so he's talking to people that should have been mature, but they weren't taking in the word of God and allowing it to be established in their life. And so he tells him, he said, we don't want to have to relay this same foundation. Now, if you've never had a foundation laid, then you need to get it laid down. Uh, Revelation talks about uh, returning and doing the first works. Go back and do the first. What are the first works? Well, Hebrews chapter 6 talks about these planks of foundation. He said, let us not lay again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, faith in God, instructions in baptisms, the laying on of hands, uh, I believe it's end time judgments and the resurrection of the dead, but you gotta flip those, it's in the other order. And so he has these, these principles of foundation, but the first one is repentance from acts that lead to death. We need a firm foundation of repentance laid in our life. And if we don't have that, what ends up happening is we end up with a shallow foundation. I was, when I was flying into Atlanta yesterday, uh, I looked out the window and there was this new housing development, these massive houses, and then a bunch of other pads that were built for these houses. And it just intrigued me because up here, you don't build on a pad. You build a basement, and if you, there's a few places that build on pads, and they've got to do it different than they do down south because of the frost line. So we go down deep and we have basements because... You, the, 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 the environment and the nature of the soil will determine the depth of foundation, the type of foundation that you have. And so if you don't go deep enough, then what happens when the weather changes, your, your house begins to heave, you have cracks, and, and you end up having to tear the house down because you've got to have the right foundation. There's always excavation before there's construction. So you've got to go in and remove some things before you can put in some things. So if you want to build a Christian life, repentance is the removal of the old and faith is the beginning of the building of the new. And the problem among American Christianity, one of our problems is we have so we have such a fondness and rightly so, we have a fondness for uh, the, the, the fact that we are justified by faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. So we surrender to Jesus, it's a free gift, we have it. But we talk so much about faith that we've neglected repentance. And these are two sides to the same coin. You've got to repent of the past and then have faith in what God is doing in your life. He, the, the, God lays that foundation of faith, but if you don't have repentance, it's like trying to build a foundation on land that's not been excavated. 
It's unstable ground. There are times you'll hear about a builder not doing the right work, not, not getting the right uh, engineering crew out there, and they don't analyze the soil and they end up having to tear a new house down. And there are times where believers have to literally strip their life back to the foundation and rebuild. And this is what Hebrews is talking about, us avoiding. So how do we avoid that? Do we, do we just ignore it? He said, let us leave the elementary teachings. No, we don't. We, we don't neglect those teachings any more than when you get into high school geometry, you forget about basic math from your, your grade school years. That was precisely my problem, by the way. I, my, my geometry teacher and my algebra teacher, both, just one day just started yelling, get out! I said, what? Get out! Me? Yes, you! Get out! Oh, okay, I left. You know? She was so frustrated because I was just zoning out. Well, the reason is I didn't listen in general math. I didn't have the elementary teaching, so I couldn't go on to the advanced stuff. And there are believers who sentence themselves to low-level Christianity. They can't grow in God and have all that he wants for them because they have a shallow foundation. And so we want to make sure that we have a firm foundation. We want to go down deep. And let me just say that there, when God builds a foundation in your life, the higher he wants to take you, the deeper he has to dig. And some of you, you're like, whoa, he's been digging a lot. Hey, be encouraged. He's going to build something really big out of your life. But the, 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 the amount that he begins to dig and put the plow blade in deep and, and, and go down to a foundation, is that is an indication of what he's wanting to do in your life. And so we need this foundation of repentance. And if we haven't done that, we need to go back and do the first works. That, that, that instruction in repentance, there's two, two ideas in this. The Hebrew was about changing your direction, doing a 180. I remember sitting with a guy 30 years ago, and he was saying, I'm, I'm following Jesus. I'm doing a 360-degree turn. I'm thinking, that wouldn't be a good idea. How about just do half of that? Because if you do 360, you're going right back in the same. And unfortunately, that's what he did. We, we need to do a 180, and we go in the opposite direction. That's the Hebrew idea of repentance. The Greek idea of repentance has to do with the mind. We change our mind. And so much of repentance is recognizing the lies that we believe because these lies will show up as fruit in our life. There's things that don't work and we wonder why. Lord, am I the exception to the rule? Man, I do these things and it's not working. It's because of our underlying belief system. So we've got to uproot those. And so what is, what is repentance? Is it beliefs or behavior? Uh-huh. It's both. There is this element of repentance where we look at our past and there's this deep pangs of grief and even revulsion over the way we used to act, over how things we used to do. And the deeper you feel that mourning, that grieving, the greater, the deeper your repentance is and the more you break free from those things. Shallow repentance results in shallow living. 
Frank Bartleman, Laura brought me this name this morning. I was trying to think of the guy's name this morning in the first service. Frank Bartleman wrote a book on the Azusa Street Revival. He was one of the primary leaders. He was a journalist before he got saved, and he had heard about the revival in Wales, started writing Evan Roberts, the leader of the Welsh Revival, and said, pray for us in L.A. We're contending for revival. For it to happen here, what's happening there? And as they were going after that, his little girl died. And he, he was so stricken with grief, he cried out to God and he said, God, either kill me, take me home, or use me in revival. I am done with living. I'm done with normal life. And God did a deep work in his life, and they saw a tremendous breakthrough of which you and I are still flowing in. The, the Pentecostal, all the major Pentecostal denominations came out of that revival at the turn of the last century in 1904, 1906. But in looking back at that revival, Frank Bartleman wrote a book and he said, looking back, he said, I now recognize that too often we pulled people prematurely out of the womb of conviction and were forced to incubate them from then on. That's a profound statement. It's a vivid picture of what happens, that they... People come under conviction, and I'm, I'm afraid that in the American church we have a tendency to do this. People get under severe conviction, and we're uncomfortable with their discomfort. And so we step in and, and rescue them, and we kind of curb the conviction, and we bring them into a sureness of forgiveness before repentance has really done its work. And we've not allowed them to really evaluate their past through the eyes of Christ. And because of that, they haven't really experienced that, for lack of a better term, revulsion over their past, over the way they used to live. And we need to allow, we need to allow repentance to do its work. You know the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon? Spurgeon uh, he lived under conviction for three years before he was assured of his salvation. But once he was assured, he was assured. <laughs> because he had to work this salvation out between him and God. And God was dealing with his heart under deep conviction. Charles Finney, same thing. Charles Finney was, uh, he was a highly educated lawyer, was the choir leader, and I believe the youth leader in his Presbyterian church in the, in, in, uh, the, on the East Coast in America in the 1800s. And was unconverted, knew he was not saved, and the whole church knew he was not saved. In fact, he was actually the subject of many of their prayer meetings while he led the choir. And Charles Finney, if you read his material after he got saved, he's blunt. Man, he was, he was, he could, he had a sword of conviction that he could, he could wield in evangelism. Cities would come under severe conviction. He, matter of fact, he wrote in his autobiography this phrase, it, it he said, and a pervading conviction began to settle upon the public conscience. Literally, a conviction would settle on public. And people that weren't saved yet would be hesitant to, they wouldn't curse in public anymore. They'd, they'd say a curse word and they'd apologize to one. They're not even saved yet. But it was like the fear of the Lord began to hover over a city. And it was his preaching and the praying of, praying, uh, of his uh, his front man, I forget his name, uh, but his, his, yeah, Father Nash, that got another Presbyterian preacher that got saved while he was a preacher under Finney's ministry. 
and Abel Carey. And I don't know who that is. We'll have to get together. It, uh, so someone that was able to carry it. So it, uh, but they, Finney, Finney had decided, he, he, he knew, okay, I'm, I'm to the point where I've got to determine one of two options in my life. Either I am going to be the best lawyer, I'm going to be highly successful, wealthy, and die and go to hell, or I'm going to surrender to Jesus and give him my whole life and whatever he wants to do with it. And he was actually debating this. He told his church, he said, quit praying for me. He said, because you don't believe your prayers anyway. I can tell by the way you act. The way you pray, I can tell you don't believe them. He was blunt before he was saved. And he was blunt afterwards. So one day he finally decides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out in the woods and, and settle this thing with God. So he marched out outside of town, outside in the woods, and knelt down in the, the, the dry leaves and said, okay, God, I admit I'm a sinner and I need you. I ask you to forgive me and Jesus come into my heart. And it was crickets. He felt nothing. He said, God, it's me, Charles. <laughs> Um, I really am sorry. I know what, you know, I've had some arrogance in my life, and I'm asking you to forgive me. Crickets. About that time, he heard some leaves rustle, and he thought it was someone coming up through the woods, and he stood up real quick so they wouldn't see him kneeling like he was just taking a walk, and all of a sudden, conviction fell on him, and he realized, here I am, a sinner in need of the forgiveness from a holy God, yet too arrogant, embarrassed that lest another man or woman see me kneeling before the God whose forgiveness I need. And he was so convicted, he fell into the leaves and just began to wail. And the Spirit of God fell on him. And he, he, was, and he said, when he left the woods, he said, I wasn't sure I was saved, but I was confident God was just in whatever decision he made. He went back to his office, got his little fiddle out, and began to play some hymns, and he said waves of liquid love began to overpower him. And this was how he said it. He said, and gurglings that could not be uttered came out through my mouth. And finally he prayed, God, stay your hand lest I die. He was receiving such a powerful baptism of love, he said, I thought it was going to kill me. And history records that from that day on, people started to get saved around Charles. He literally glowed with the power of God. And I've often wondered, would Charles Finney have been the Charles Finney that history revealed had he been in one of our churches? And he began to say, God, I'm a sinner, and I surrender my life to you. And he felt nothing, and he would have shared with me as an altar worker, I didn't feel anything, and I would have jumped in. It's not by feelings, brother. It's by faith, and, and you know what? You just need to take it by faith, and God forgives you. It's right here, and you don't need to worry about it, and repentance would not have done its work, and what we end up doing is having to create an, a, a sterilized, counterfeit environment, an incubator to sustain those believers because what their spiritual man was created to do on its own what didn't happen in the womb of conviction. He was prematurely pulled out. And so now somebody else has to breathe and feed and do all these things for that child. And this shallow Christianity that we often see is the result of a lack of foundation in people's lives. And so, I am with the writer of Hebrews. I think it was Apollos. 
Some people think it was Paul. You'll find out I was right when we get to heaven. (laughs) But he said, let us leave the elementary teachings and go on to the, 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 the more advanced things. Let us not lay again the foundation. And I agree with that. We shouldn't have to keep relaying the foundation. But we want to make sure it's been laid before we move on. And we want to make sure that it's laid for us as individuals in your individual life. There are a lot of people that struggle with self-centeredness because they've never been unhinged from self. They came to Jesus as a healer. They were a victim and Jesus healed them, but they weren't an offender that Jesus forgave. And the way you look at the Lord will determine, the way you approach him will determine how you meet him. And there needs to come a time in our life where we begin to see ourselves for what we are and our our desperate need for him. We were worshiping in the first service and uh, we were singing that song, Is He Worthy? Don't you love that song? I mean, I could stop right now and bring the worship team back up. We could have church. Man, that song. But I'd never seen that one line. I mean, I've sang it many times, but it says, is there anyone whole? There's only one. There's one that's sinless. There's only one. But he's also whole. And that just so ministered to me because I am painfully aware of my own humanity and my own brokenness. We're all broken and we're all recovering from the fall. But there's only one who weathered all of this stuff called life and maintained his integrity. He was integrated. Everything that every, Jesus could always say, I mean it with my whole heart. He was always wholehearted in everything he did. And what you and I do is because of our shame and our brokenness, we break pieces of ourselves off and we hide it. And then we present the part as the whole and we're disintegrated. We're not wholehearted. We lack the integrity of that integration. And Jesus is the only one whole. It just so ministered to me. It's like, and I, I just felt like, Lord, I can hide under your wholeness. I'm still a work in progress, but he is the finished work. And I can approach every situation under that. Just a beautiful thing. So some of our repentance is acknowledging and recognizing that those areas of brokenness and the lies we believe and realizing, oh, I see this wrong. Some of it is, is grief. Some of it is mourning. Some of it is, Lord, forgive me, and allowing that to go deep. I was at that, that men's conference and, and uh, I, <laughs> I had one session Friday night and preached two sermons and then there was another guy that started preaching at 10.15. Oh my goodness. This guy got halfway through. I just wanted to lay on the floor and wail. It was so powerful. Man, I'm gonna bring this guy in. We're gonna have this guy in sometime. He's running a ministry for the homeless and for trafficked women and all this stuff and he... He confronted 300 men with the problem of pornography and uh, the uh, objectification of women. And it was, 
I mean, it was thick in the air. It was like he had a sword in both hands. It was so powerful. And just this, you could feel it under this grief came over the men. Not because, I'm sure in that size of crowd, there were men who had looked at pornography. I'm sure there were men that had hired prostitutes. But it was, it was deeper than, it was the underlying attitudes. And that's where this thing has to start. The underlying attitudes towards women. And you could feel it in the room. The men were taking responsibility. God forgive us for what we've done to our sisters. To somebody's daughter by the way we've looked at women. And it was just, it was heavy in the air. And there was this deep repentance happening. It was a beautiful thing. But it was, a, it was, it was heavy. And that's where repentance always has to start. It can't start with our being sorry for our actions. Your actions are merely the fruit on the tree. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. You got all this fruit, and so we pull it off, and what happens? We make more fruit. We've got to get to the root of the attitudes, the underlying mindsets, the belief systems. Yes, there needs to be grief over the actions, but we need to repent and have our mind changed over the attitudes. And that's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, it starts with what's called the B-attitudes. Let's read. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. I'm going to read it on here instead so I can, don't have to pull back. He's, it says... That in Matthew 5, it says that what he did is he, he sat down and he began to teach them, saying uh, that even the fact that he sat down, it, it, that's, that's a rabbinical sign of authority. When the rabbi would sit down, now it means something. You know, this is going to, it's not just off the cuff. This is authoritative teaching. And again, when he says he taught, it meant he taught it again and again. And so Matthew 5, verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opens his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've got to exercise some self-control here, because I'm going to be pulled into that verse, and we're not going to get out of it. But you see how it starts with that poverty of spirit. These beatitudes build one on another. We're going to look at this in the days to come. But it has to start with that poverty of spirit, that estimation of our past life where we see the, the utter poverty, our moral bankruptcy. I remember when I worked for Teen Challenge, there were students that would come in and they knew, I am undone and I need God. And then there were others that would say this, I'm a pretty good person. I'm really a good person. I just have a drug problem. And it was painful, but I had to begin to press on that thing. Oh, so you ripped your grandmother off. Your grandmother who's living on a fixed income and you would tear checks out of the back of her checkbook to fund your drug, but you're a good person. You're willing to use the people who loved you the most to meet your desires. But you're a good person. And see, until they could own that thing and realize, I'm not a good person. And I need saved, not just from drug addiction, something outside of myself. I need saved from me. I need deliverance. I need to be fundamentally 
changed. I need to be born again. God can't fix what I was. I need to be crucified and raised to newness of life. Poverty of spirit. What's the next one? Blessed are those who mourn. Because the response to that poverty is a deep grief. So he starts with the Beatitudes. It, it, the, the reason we call it the Beatitudes is the, the Latin is beatus, uh, the, the, the blessed attitudes. It means the attitude, the posture of the heart that will guarantee the blessing of God. That's what the Beatitudes are. It's saying that if you can secure this in your life, I guarantee you God will be attracted to and slap blessings all over you. So this is a very valuable thing. So it starts with attitudes, but what does it end with? Listen to this. Chapter 7, verse 24. Now remember, I said this is a foundational teaching, right? Listen to what he says. Verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rains fell and the flood came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and listen to this, and great was the fall of it. And so Jesus says, everyone, who hears this? Everyone. This is an invitation to all of us. God is giving us the keys in Matthew 5 through 7. Everyone who hears this, you have an invitation to secure a life that will attract the blessing and backing of heaven and that will, that will sustain you in the hardest circumstances in life. That when the winds blow and the floods rise, your house can stand. And when everybody else's life is collapsing around you, yours will withstand the winds. And he says, who hears these teachings? Now, we could, I, I believe we're not doing uh, error to the word to say, yeah, that's true of the Bible. We build our house on the Bible. But that's not really what Jesus was saying. He said these words, and we know they started in chapter 5 and they ended chapter 7. He's saying that the Sermon on the Mount, or if you go to Luke, the Sermon on the Plain, this body of teaching is foundational to your life. It becomes bedrock that you can build your life on. And when we get this built into our life, you will stand through the hardest trials. No matter what Life or the enemy throws at you, you will be stable and you'll come out the other side standing. So these words are crucial for us to hear. He goes on to say, but whoever hears these words but does not do them. See, Jesus is not even addressing the people who don't listen to the word. He's talking to church people. He's talking to Jewish people and church people. <laughs> Those of us who sit under the word, because it's not hearing the word that will change you. In fact, it's dangerous to sit under the word and think that it's changing you. He didn't say, whoever goes to church and sits through a sermon will stand in the hour of trial. That's not what he's saying. And In fact, you can deceive yourself and say, well, I'm really growing because, man, I've heard 52 sermons this year. And in fact, the word that was supposed to tenderize you actually hardened you because you're not yielding to it. 
And so as we go into this this series on foundations, I implore you, listen, let's take this in and let's say, God, give me ears to hear. Let me recognize the areas of my life where I'm, I'm messed up, where things are out of plumb, where my, my foundation needs adjustment. Lord, help me to recognize the lies I believe. Help me to recognize the things I'm doing. And God, smite my heart with grief. Lord, let, let grief grip my heart over the attitudes. I don't want it ever to grow into an action. I want to be convicted to the, of or the attitude that spawns that action. And let me apply your word to my life. Let me be a doer of the word. James says, do not deceive yourself by hearing the word but not doing it. That's a sobering thing. He's implying that sitting under the word of the Lord can actually in and of itself be a means of deception when you don't do something about it. And so let's take the word in and let's apply it to our life. Let's ask the Lord, God, do surgery. There's a reason Jesus starts this teaching off with attitudes and ends with this being a foundation. And in between is all this practical, really practical stuff, finances, prayer, uh, just all these practical things that worry, going after these things that, that will uproot, choke out the roots, uproot and, and, and dismantle the foundation of our life. And so let's ask, Lord, God, help us receive the word. Let it, let it go in our heart. Help us to understand and receive this and let us be transformed on the other side. I really do believe there's two things on the horizon. Back in the 80s, mid to late 80s, I kept hearing this in my prayer time. It'll be the best of times. It'll be the worst of times. It'll be the best of times. It'll be the worst of times. And when the Lord would tell me that, I knew he was, he was speaking of a coming day of revival where in the midst of it, there is all kinds of bad stuff happening, but we're in the middle of revival and we would say, I wouldn't trade for anything what I'm experiencing in God. I would happily go through all this to experience this. But those days are going to require a people with deep stakes, deep foundations, deep roots that can grab to the ground. I, my neighbor in my housing development, it's, you're required to have an irrigation system. And my neighbor, his grass looks beautiful. He makes me look bad. I mean, he's out there with a level and scissors, you know, and laser level. and I mean, it's beautiful. And it's green. He applies special chemicals. I mean, it is, it's, gore, it's still gorgeous. I, I feel embarrassed, you know. I, I walk in shame, kind of avoiding him up to the mailbox. He had this beautiful spruce tree, and I think it was on the property line, but he paid for it, so I got like a free tree. And it was a beautiful, huge blue spruce. But here was the problem. Because of irrigation, he irrigates his so much, the roots of that tree never had to go down deep for water. They just lied on the surface. Life was easy for that tree. It was beautiful. It could spend all its energy being beautiful. It didn't have to invest in going down deep. Just stand there looking good. Until we had a storm. 
about two years ago, a high wind came through, and I walked out, and there the root ball had turned over. It was a root ball about this tall. That beautiful spruce tree was on its side because it didn't have the root system to dig down deep. Life had been too easy. And some of you, God hasn't allowed it to be easy recently. And it is a gift from him. And it's actually a prophecy about how tall he wants you to grow. It's an indication of the work he wants to do. And God will always be dealing with us according to our circumstances. What you're going through, if you will tune your ear, You'll hear me talk about it. You'll turn on the radio. You'll hear about it. You'll pick up a magazine. You'll read about it. God is speaking because God is wanting to deal with your life. And if you will listen, God will always speak. God will always keep what you need wrapped up in need. He's going to bring you into a a crisis, and then he reveals himself as the answer. My favorite author, probably my favorite well, at least one of my hundred favorites. He, uh, T. Austin Sparks, he said this, God always keeps revelation of himself wrapped up in need. Otherwise, it's merely information. It's not revelation. Information never changed anybody. But revelation does. That's why a preacher can get up and preach one message in a room of 200 people and there's 200 different messages heard. Because God's preaching to each one of us just what we need. I want to encourage you in the coming days. We're going to go through this foundation. And let's right now, let's ask God, God, go down deep. We're building for the future. We're building for beyond our life. Man, that that, uh, advertisement for our worship collective. Did you hear that deep voice of that amazing voice that comes out of that little guy, Miles. He's an amazing man. And he said this, we are building a a culture that will lead in worship our great-grandchildren. Man, I love that. Your decisions today, over these next few months, on taking in the word, will affect your great-grandchildren if Jesus tarries. So let's build accordingly. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.